He is our promise. It's not a promise on this earth. There are many benefits of serving God here on this earth that are temporary. You don't take these things with you. And he blesses us and gives us so much. He doesn't have to, but he does bless us so abundantly here on earth. But that's not your promise. And it should never be something for you to attain to. We should never as Christians be looking for the promised land here on earth. Should never as Christians be looking for, um, not that we can't, but the bigger home, the nicer car, the fatter bank account as the promise. God can and many times does provide those way more abundantly than we even ask him for. Sometimes though, life is not exactly what you expected. Who's ever been there? And that's because the promise is not here. The promise is Jesus Christ. The promise is Him. And eternity, upon eternity, if you could even try to fathom such a thing, it doesn't even make sense. That's the promise. But I thank you, God. I thank Him often. By often, I mean always thank Him for so many blessings that we do have in this temporary time. Even though this is temporary, he has blessed us. But I need to be aware constantly that this is not it, that this is temporary, that all that we see is passing away. This is all going. And he wants to take care of you. But you need to have your eyes set on eternity. You need to have your eyes set on eternity. Because all of a sudden, Jean and I here are a gap of 30 years, and he'll tell me, I don't know where it went. It goes fast, him with so many. And I'm listening, I hear you, I hear you, and now I'm looking at my little ones telling them, I don't even know where you came from. Where did, how did you get here? They're looking at me like, you're my dad and I've always known you, and I'm like, well, I had a little bit of a life before you, and now this is like, it's just it. You're just going, it's going so fast. And before we know it, there's generations upon generations gone. Time is gone. And that's why we need to have our eyes set on eternity. The eternal promise is the promise. But we love that God blesses us along the way. We love that he takes care of us because he loves us. But the greatest promise that you can carry now is the eternal promise Jesus Christ in you today. You need to know that, that he is your promise and with him comes blessing, amen? All right, I said that enough. That was enough of a prequel here. I wanted you to look, I'm just gonna continue right along with what I've been preaching on in Exodus here, this story of them coming out. And now they're, they've just come into the wilderness and last week I talked about how they were a little confused because God had done all these miracles. God had done this miraculous thing in freeing them. He freed them from Egypt and had done some amazing things and had caused incredible things to happen in the, in the earth and, and from the sky and, and, and even finally to free them supernaturally from Egypt and sent them through the Red Sea, literally split the Red Sea open and sent them through and drowned the Egyptian army behind them. What an amazing story. And yet they did what we all do so many times. The Lord has done so much for us. Who has had God do a miracle in your life at some point or another? 
at some point he's done a miracle in your life, but then they do something that we all do. We all forget the miracle. Who's forgotten the miracle sometimes? That's sad, but we do. We're all the same. We're no different than this 3,000-year-old story. We're all just people. The Bible says, though, that they complained and murmured. It had been three days and they were hungry. They were tired. They were thirsty. And they started complaining that Moses, led by God, and it, was, it wasn't against Moses. Moses tells them, you complain to me, you're complaining to God. But they start complaining that you led us out here to die. Now, if you had seen, I've had a mir- many miracles in my life, and I don't want to say one is greater than the other comparing mine to the Bible's, but if I had seen the Red Sea split open and walk through it, and, you know, modern theologians who don't want to believe God's word say it was the reed seed. Remember we talked about this? You know what? Who cares if it was the reed seed or the red sea if he dried up a marsh because then we said he did a greater miracle because the attire, it was the most elite force of Egypt, 600 men in their chariots. God drowns them. So if it was the reed seed, then that was the greater miracle that God drowned 600 of the most elite force of the time in a marsh. All right. So one way or the other, God's getting the glory, right? So he brings them through that. And if you had seen that, you would think that three days later, you would be still on this high with God. Like, man, God has done so much for me. It's unbelievable what he's done for me. And if he's done that for me, what won't he do for me? That's what we should be saying all the time. No matter what we face, no matter what we go through, we should be saying that. But most times, unfortunately for all of us, we get into slumps where we're saying things that they said. Lord, did you lead us out here to die? Maybe not in those exact words, but sometimes we, maybe we don't, it doesn't even come out of our mouth, but you know, the Lord's, he's reading your mouth in your heart. <laughs> your thoughts are your mouth to him. The Bible says there's nothing he doesn't see, nothing he doesn't hear. You may not be speaking it to other people. You know, we joke about it. Body language is more language than the language out of your mouth, right? What you're saying is what you're not saying. And so we might be thinking, God, where are you? You've abandoned me. You've forsaken me. Where are you, God? And meanwhile, instead of looking at what he's done for us, Time and time again. He didn't just lead them through the Red Sea, remember. He had done miracle upon miracle upon miracle in their favor against Egypt, who was oppressing them to free them. And I want you to look at the book of Exodus, chapter 16, excuse me, and I want you to look here. Of course, my thing is not wanting to cooperate. But we're going to look at verse 31. The Bible says that God caused this mysterious substance. It's called manna. And the word manna literally in the Hebrew means what is it? That's what it means. It's actually not a special word. It's not... We think it's some angelic word. Now, it has incredible depth of meaning as we progress through the word. But literally, they named it, what is it? Sometimes God gives you something 
God's trying to provide for you and you have no idea what he's doing in your life. Who's been there? Who has cried out to God? They cry out to him and, and they are, and, but it wasn't like, oh God, we love you. We need you. Provide for us. They're crying out in this instance, right? We, I don't want to go over last week and re-preach that sermon, but they had been crying out to him in a complaining way. Where are you? Where are you, God? And he loves us so much. Sometimes he has to deal with us and he deals with them many times <laughs> in this story. I encourage you to go read this, this story, read the book because there's so many lessons in there. We don't have time for that today. But in this case, he's going to show that he loves you and provides for you. But so many times you're crying out to God saying, God, I need your miracle. I need your answer. And meanwhile, he's, he gives you something and you say, what is it? What is it? You know what's amazing? I just want to read a couple of things about this, this thing, manna. It says that in uh, the book of Numbers, chapter 11, it's funny, they, they, they're complaining again. This is down the road, but again, the same heart. Listen, if you don't deal with the devil in your life, it comes back again. If you don't deal with that demon that was around you before and you only just kind of pushed it off a little bit, you don't deal with that thing, it's going to come back. And here we are in Numbers 11. They're complaining again. And God had done, at this point, God's just doing more. He's providing more and more and more. Stay. And more and more and more. And God just keeps doing for them. God just keeps doing and keeps doing and keeps doing for them. And here they are in Numbers chapter 11, verse 4, and they're saying, oh, for some meat. And verse 5, they said, we remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. Remember I said last week, they said, we remember the fish we used to eat for free, but what they are not remembering with the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic, I guess they were vegetarians. No, they were not. They just said fish. A lot of vegetables. But they are craving these things, and what they don't remember was that they were slaves. We cry out to God, God frees us, and then we go into this wilderness place with God. Remember I said last week, the way to get to God's glory, you don't owe God anything for Him to save you. He saved them from the world in the exact condition they were in. From Egypt, he didn't require anything except this. And this is all he requires of us to follow Christ. He only requires one thing to follow Christ, to leave the world. Just get up and follow him. That's what Jesus, Jesus continues that message in the New Testament. Follow me. But where you're following Jesus is the part that gets hard as a Christian. That's the part we don't like, but if we submit to it, who knows that Jesus didn't just go to a cross when he said, pick up your cross daily and follow me. He didn't stay on the cross, did he? So that means if he didn't stay on the cross and we're following his path, where are we going to end? Well, it says that Jesus is seated right now in, in this very moment, and he was at that very moment from the cross 
from the cross when death and hell and the victory was won, when he ascended again to heaven, he sat at the right hand of God. And the Bible tells us that we, even though your body's here right now, it's a little bit weird for us to comprehend, but your spirit is sitting when you say yes to Christ is with him right now at the right hand of God. And that's an amazing thing that we are sitting with Christ. But the confusing part is that your body is still here on the earth. And there's life, and there's trials, and there's constant testing. Somebody is, it is, there's always death. There's always heartache. And that's what should drive us closer, just as a, as a God was, to, was, and we're going to look at, is causing us to do. Many times the world is just wallowing around in it. We don't need to wallow in our suffering, but he never said it wouldn't come. He just said, I, I have an answer for you when it does. No matter what comes, there's an answer in me. I'm heading to a cross and there's nothing fun about the cross, but there's a resolution. There's an answer on the other side. There's going to be a finish to this. And when we say yes to Christ, it requires nothing. But we say yes to him, we start following him, and all of a sudden, we are in this wilderness place, as they were. And we go, whoa, 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 whoa. Did you lead us out here to die? Come on, I want you to say this as a church. God has a plan. <laughs> he did not lead you into the place you're at right now to kill you. He didn't, as I say this a lot, I'm going to say it again, God is not sadistic, does not get pleasure out of your suffering. God, the Bible says that actually that he's weeping for us, does not get pleasure out of your suffering. He's weeping for you. He loved you so much, remember, that Jesus died on a cross. We should never, it's the simplest, it's the most basic part of our faith. And it's one, it's the key. We should never forget that, how much he loves us, that he died on a cross for us. That's how much he loves us. If he loved us that much that he would send his only son to die on a cross for us and take your place as, a, as took your sin, laid it upon himself, the sin of the world for all time, and paid that price, how much does God love us? Which means that no matter what you're in and no matter what you're facing, no matter what your trial is, no matter what the test in front of you is, it means that God loves you right here, right now. And if he had a plan and what looked like a very unfortunate, to give it no real great vocabulary, an unfortunate moment in time, the world couldn't see, the devil couldn't see. We can't see sometimes that there's a victory on the other side of that cross. And that's what's happening here. They got their eyes set on the things that they loved in this world and forget, as just like we do, what that comes with. And I'm not, and, and again, I, I don't want to preach about money, but for every dollar you make, for most of us, unless you won it in the lottery, it costs you a dollar of sweat, a dollar of stress, etc. And you can use your imagination. Even the lotto people, you know, statistically, statistic. 
That's a hard word. Statistics. If you know that movie, Fun with Dick and Jane. But they lose it. They can't even, even when they've got it for free, it's nothing free. The stress and and, and then they, they don't know how to handle it. And then they start spinning crazy to try to catch up with this life that they've created and and they've lost it. They don't remember just like we don't remember sometimes. But what I'm getting to is that the Lord, (laughs) it said in verse 6, but now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. All we ever see is this thing that we don't even, what is it? But here, this is, this is what's amazing. It says, here they're complaining about it, but verse 7 says that the manna looked like small coriander seeds. It was pale yellow like gum resin. And it says the people would go out and gather it from the ground, and they made flour by grinding it with hand mills or pounding it in mortars. And then they boiled it in a pot and made it into flat Flat cakes. These cakes tasted like pastries baked with olive oil. Wow, these, man, God is awful. God's awful. Man, look at them. They boiled in a pot and made it into pastries. Flat cakes and pastries taste baked with olive oil. And it says, actually, it says in Psalm 78, It says in verse 22, for they did not believe God or trust him to care for them. But he commanded the skies in verse 23 to open and he opened the doors of heaven. Sometimes we're so focused on this life and on this earth and what this world can give us. And of course, we forget the cost. Meanwhile, God is it is put us in this place he's put us in a place that we don't understand we said you rescued us and you freed us and we're so thankful that you took us out of our life of sin and out of our past and you've taken all that from us and then all of a sudden though we're in this place i don't we're in like limbo mode as christians and we don't understand what god is doing but god's doing something and i and We're going to explain exactly what he's doing, but I want to just build a little bit more about his provision, actually what it was that he was giving them. He says that he opened the doors of heaven. Come on, church, the Lord is opening the doors of heaven for you. You might be saying, what is it? You may not understand, but God is the one providing for you right now. In the time where you just need to let go, That's what the wilderness is all about. This time, they come out of the world where they knew how to get what they needed. It was work for it. Actually, uh, in Egypt, they lived in the best land in Egypt. In the world, you can live in the best. All you have to do is work for it. Anybody can do that. Anybody can, can apply themselves in a particular way, whatever the fashion is that you've been gifted with, and you can make it. It's going to cost you, but anybody can do it. It may cost you your family, your marriage, your actual life from stress, but anybody technically can push enough and make it here on this earth. And you know where to go get it. You know what to do and what it takes to get it. 
but the cost is not worth it. Because all you're doing is burning your rubber here for nothing. At the end of the day, you're still a slave in that system. But God frees us. He says, trust me. Trust me. Follow me. And we start following him, and then the first thing we do is we complain because the way that God does things, we want our hands still in control. We, but God, I don't know how to trust you. I know what to do to get what I need. I just go out and get it. I'll go out and I'll go do what it takes and I'll push and I'll grind and I'll move and I'll make it happen. Now, sometimes in Christianity, am I preaching to somebody? And sometimes in Christianity, there's a part of, I mean, it's not a lazy faith. I'm not saying there's nothing that's required of you, but sometimes we can cross the line as Christians and, and we can start mixing our old nature back in with following Christ. We don't even realize that we're still grinding to try to get what we need, to try to get where we think we're supposed to get to. And the whole thing about the wilderness is the more they fought God on this, the longer it took. Come on, say, you ready, church? I want the wilderness, come on, to be over. <laughs> There's only one way to get through the testings. And that's to do it. You either complete the test or God loves us so much. Wow. He loves us so much that he'll just give you the test again. And again. And again. And again. Until he gets the result in you that he wants. Is that because he hates us or he loves us? I use our children so many times because it makes sense as a parent and even if you don't have your own children, you can understand just looking at the next generation coming up that we don't push them uh, to, to learn and to study and to get a good grade on the test because it's about the grade. We want them to know what they need to know for the next stage of their life, right? In the same way that God tests us, it's not so that he can say, you got a good grade on that test. It's so that you're ready for what he's going to bring you into next. And that's what the Bible t says. It's not confusing, and, and I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'm going to say that. I'm going to get to that, and that's my next point. Let me finish this. Verse 24, he rained down manna for them to eat. He gave them bread from heaven. Come on, it was bread from heaven. God's given us bread from heaven today. And it says they ate, verse 25, food of angels. Are we guilty that we've been complaining? Is there anybody in here who does, came in not wearing shoes today? If there is, we'll buy you some. But does anybody come in not wearing shoes or clothes on your back? Anybody not have breakfast today? What about dinner last night? What about lunch yesterday, breakfast yesterday? What about do you live in a home? Do you have heat? Do you have air conditioning? Do you have a car to get to and from? Whoa, we're a lot more blessed than we realize sometimes, aren't we? We're comparing ourselves. What we do is we gauge ourselves in America by other Americans instead of looking at humanity. We're incredibly blessed. God has blessed us so much. And sometimes we don't realize, we're saying, what is this? What is this? 
We're looking at what we could get by pushing and grinding and slaving. Meanwhile, God's saying, just rest in me and you don't have to worry. God just, who knows, who has rested at many times in your life and seen God just start providing? You weren't lazy. There's a difference, but you rested in him and he provides. And still, I always joke, we joke as the husbands. Well, I mean, wives work too. I'm not knocking the women who work. But as the husbands, I joke that we pray for the Lord's provision, but I laugh then and be like, well, I'm still going to end up at a job getting that check, but I'll know that that one was from the Lord. I'm not going to strive for it. I'm just going to give it into your hands, and I know that that particular work for myself, that that job's going to come through. And it does. Who can say that you've, as you've trusted God many times, I mean, every time, I'm sorry, Every time that I really seek him, it may not come as quick or in the way or even amounts, but it's always what we need. We have never, ever been forsaken. As many times I did not understand. I've said, what is it? More times than I've said, thank you. But he's always provided, always. And God is still doing that today. In fact, and that's why I started today pointing you to Christ in eternity. Because in fact... Besides the fact that this earthly bread, this earthly manna, Elijah ate this manna. It says that he was in such distress, he was just stressed out. Just to, to, you guys know the story about Elijah. If you don't, let's just leave it at that. You ever been stressed? You ever been so stressed out by the, the world around you? And he's done. He says, God, I'm done. I'm done. I can't even take it anymore. God wakes him up. And provides from supernaturally, there was bread and water next to him. And he eats it and he goes back into it. And he eats again. It doesn't say that it was manna, but this bread and water, nobody made it. It came from somewhere. Looks to me in the word like it came from heaven, bread from heaven. And it says that he got up and he ran for 40 days straight. I'm pretty sure it was the angel's food because you can't do that in the natural. But not only does God provide to, he'll give you the strength. He can give you the energy. That was a, it's a supernatural thing crossing into the natural. But more than that, more than that, Jesus, Revelation twenty two seventeen 17 says, the spirit and the bride say, come, let anyone who hears this say, come, let anyone who is thirsty come, let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. In John 6, verse 33, talking of the, the bread that he cracked, I mean, the, the water, the Lord cracked open the rock and poured the water forth for them, and the bread was just provided as a dew in the morning, and they could gather and make bread. Well, it's pointing towards Jesus Christ. And it says in John 6, verse 33, that the true bread of God, he gave you a picture. We can look at this story and we can see the symbolisms in the picture. We can see, okay, God, we don't have to worry. It doesn't matter what you're in. It doesn't matter if it's dry and hot in your life, right? You can see the symbolisms in, the, in that. It doesn't matter if I'm in a desert place, if I don't know where we're going, and I don't know what it is you're doing. We can look and see that it all pointed to this. The true bread of God is the one. Come on, everybody, say the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 34, Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. 
You know what it said? It said that if they gathered, if they tried to gather more manna, they tried to get through. Who's tried to get through two days with your time with God? Anybody double down with your time on God today for, so I can get through tomorrow? I'm not saying God can't supernaturally take care of you, but that's not his way. It said that in the manna would rot and turn to maggots. It wasn't for tomorrow. It was for today. And do you know that even if they only gathered a little bit, they had more than enough? Because it was more about the daily with God. It's more about the consistency with God. God, I've only got five minutes to pray every day. We do have more time, but even if you said that to the Lord, he will honor that five minutes more than the hour when you feel like you, you, you know, you're gonna make time. I'm just gonna make time when it works. He honors that consistency in us more every day. Well, Jesus replied, come on, this is what he's saying to you today. This is what he's saying to us. I am the bread of life. I'm what what can sustain you. You can do things and you can go further and faster than you've ever gone in the natural and in the world and just the point where you don't, you don't understand and at just the point where you're, you're done. I want to give you life again. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. He said, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Well, he's talking specifically, he's responding to them because they said they were trying to get Jesus to prove himself, which he was not going to do. He had some things to say, but he's like, you know what? If you don't believe me, you don't believe me. He loved him, but he's, re- he's, he's giving them a response. He's not going to, they're saying, prove yourself. Because they said, Moses brought down bread from heaven. He said, Moses didn't bring down bread from heaven. God did. God brought bread down from heaven and he's done it again today. That's what he's telling them because he says, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Verse 47, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Verse 48, yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will, come on everybody together, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven and anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. God gave us a picture in Exodus of what he wanted to do and that was to leave the world behind. We've been pounding that. I've been saying that. That's what's, this is that process. And the enemy's at your back. Remember the story. Egypt tried to pursue him. The devil's trying to pursue you. And God's taking care of that. You just set your eyes forward. He'll open the Red Seas. He'll open things up. Has God opened doors in your life? Has he made a way for you when he didn't have to? He loves you. And he just keeps opening. You just set, I'm heading towards you, God, and I'm following you, and he'll just keep opening Red Seas for you. And he's taking care of the enemy behind him. You don't worry about him. You set your eyes on Christ, and he's gonna keep drowning those things behind you. You don't turn back. You don't focus on those things, and you keep looking at him. And then you come into the place where it literally says that the reason 
The reason in, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God knew what he was doing. And this is what he's teaching us here today. Jesus has become that bread. The symbolism is gone. And Jesus is that bread for eternity. And this was the very reason that they were brought into the wilderness. The same reason that we go into a wilderness. We go into a testing with God. Because it says in Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 1, Be careful to obey all the commands I'm giving you today. Then you will live and multiply and you will enter and occupy the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Verse two, remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years. This is what it says, humbling you. What does it say here? The Lord your God led you. God led you through a wilderness but he's leading you, he's leading you, he's leading you. That was last week, remember? He is with us, he's with us. So I'm not gonna worry about these circumstances, he is with us. But then we, he's, he's trying to provide for us, he's trying to provide for you, and we're more confused about his provision than just accepting it and embracing it, because it literally says that he did it to humble them and test them and prove their character to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. The New King James says to find out what was in your heart. He'll take your hands, doors close in your life, you start trusting God and doors close and it feels like the world's crashing around you sometimes as a believer. You say, I gave myself to Christ, I thought everything was gonna get better. It is getting better. You gotta set your eyes on him, he's the better. The world around you that's temporary sometimes starts crashing. And the provision that came through you working and through you doing and through you striving, those things start kind of getting uncomfortable. Leave it at that. Everybody's story is different, but that's what starts happening. But God then says, watch what I do. And he brings you to this place to teach you to rely on him every single day. Because just... Like the sun rose, the manna was there. The Bible says for every, even though it took them 40 years to do a, whatever, some people say 11 days in a couple of weeks, a few weeks, whatever, a few week journey, let's, leave, let's just give them some time to rest in between at rest stops, right? It could have taken them a few weeks and it took them 40 years. Even if your journey, even if your trial and your testing took 40 years, God even when you feel like, Lord, I haven't gotten over this and, I'm not, and, and, and I can't seem to conquer this and it takes a lot of time in your life, the Lord never ever withdrew his provision from them. Like clockwork, every single day, the Lord was willing, even though he, the Bible shows us, he almost lost his patience sometimes. Sometimes he almost does, but through his grace, it said that every single day his provision was there. And Jesus Christ has become that bread for you every single day. He will never leave you, never forsake you. He is with you. And you can't try to stock up on him so that you can take a day off from God tomorrow. He's looking for a daily time with him. <laughs> a daily thing with the Lord. That's what he's looking for. And it says it's that he 
wants us to trust him. It says, verse three, he humbled you. Listen, the Lord humbled you by letting you go hungry. My God would let me go hungry? It's not a confusing thing. You know, it's so funny when you get saved and you're looking outside to the world and they're hurting and they're struggling and even Christians that are in and out and on the fence with their faith and you're looking at them with such clear eyes and you want them to see their life like you do because what you see is that they don't need to struggle. They don't need to struggle. That the very hunger that the thing inside of them that will never be settled ever is because it only is filled by God. He will let you go hungry. You cross over and God doesn't say, okay, let's see what you do. He's not chauvinistic, but he says, all right, you've made the decision and I love you, but I need you to, I want you to really make it now. You gave me, and I love you, and we're going to eternity together, but I want this thing to get so down deep inside of you that no matter what comes, no matter what you face, you're going to stay close to me, because this is what it says. It said he did it to teach us that we don't live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You don't, what is the bread? What is the natural bread of this earth? How do you get the natural bread in this earth? What do, we, what do we even call bread? What's its nickname? What does it symbolize today? Bread. Dough. Exactly. That's the symbol. You don't live by that. He's, I like that he says alone because God also understands that we live in, we're not of this world, we still live in this world. You still, it's not like, oh, I'm gonna live outside the system, I'm not gonna use money. Well, it's not gonna work for you unless you're gonna go out to Montana and you're gonna literally farm every single crop for yourself and then when you go to the hospital and you're hurt, then just pretend that you came from south of the border or something to get help. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. Easy. Because we don't live by bread alone. We live by God. And it says, it says that, verse 4, your clothes didn't wear out. Your feet didn't blister or swell. Verse 5, think about it. He said, just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. So obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him for the Lord your God is bringing you. Look what it says. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land of flowing streams and pools of waters with fountains and springs that gush out in the valleys and hills and it's a land of wheat and barley and grapevines and, and so on and so on. In verse nine, it's the land where food is plentiful. Nothing is lacking. Verse 10, when you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the God, the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Verse 11, but that is the time to be Careful. Why? Why? Why did he do this? Why does the wilderness come? Why does the testing come? Why does he need to humble you? 
Why does he need to get you to look to him and, you, and him alone and not on you? Why? Because this is what it says. It says, because when, verse 12, you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Verse 15, do not forget that he led you through. The great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was so hot and dry and he gave you water from the rock. Verse 16, he fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. And he did this to humble you and test you for your own good. Verse 17, he did all this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Verse 18, remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you the power to be successful. The New King James says, remember the Lord your God, for he gives you the power to get wealth in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. Why do we, when we get saved, does it feel like everything in the natural Sometimes it's just so hard and gets stripped away and we're keeping our eyes on him. It's so that we stay reliant on him and not ourselves. We've done that before. Who's made a mess of your, of your, of your life when you put your hands in it? If you've used your hands in your life and you've tried to make your way and we've made a mess, we've all done it. He wants you to get your hands out of it and just say, God. And believe me, you're still going to get up and go to work on Monday. But you're saying, Lord, this is your day. This is your day. My time is in your hands. I'm trusting in you. I'm leaning upon you. I'm not going to worry because at the very worst, I die. Wow, I'm such a harsh guy. The very worst, I die. And I have eternity to spend with you. I know that's very, very worst. Nobody's thinking about that. But there is no worst. What do we have to worry about? So Paul said, there's nothing that the world, nothing can be taken from me anymore. There's nothing I can lose because I've gained it all. And what I've gained, moth does not destroy. The rust does not destroy. Thieves do not break in and steal. My place is in eternity, and it's guaranteed, Peter says, as an inheritance forever. It says in 1 Peter, and I'll close with these scriptures here. Actually, in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8, it says, We think... You ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. Who's ever felt crushed beyond your ability? And it says, and we thought we would never live through it. It says in verse 9, though, in fact, we expected to die. 
But look what it says. Look at our hope. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves. And we learned to rely on God who raises the dead. God raises the dead. So, so be it. Let this trial, let it kill me because the God I'm serving will just raise me back up. Come on. 1 Peter 1, 6 says, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Come on, everybody. I want you to say this together. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while. There's lots of sermons joking about a little while. It doesn't feel like a little while when you're in it, does it? But it says in verse 7, These trials will show that your faith is genuine. Come on, it's all part of God's plan. Don't get confused when you don't understand, when you're saying, what is it? That's the time that you need to rest more. You need to trust more. And you need to get into the daily routine of spending time with the bread that makes you never go hungry and with the water that makes you never go thirsty. That's Jesus Christ. That's time with him. That's time in his word. That's time in just in the, even if it's a moment to, to say, Lord, you're my God each day. Because it says that after these little, this little while, verse seven, and after it starts showing that your faith is genuine, it is being tested as fire test and purifies gold through your faith Though your faith is more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor. Wait, those are the words we use for God. Praise and honor and glory. When you look to Him and you've aligned yourself with Him, you get what Jesus gets. He is that bread. He's eternal. There is no hunger. There is no thirst. You literally become part of his praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. 1 Peter um, chapter 4. Just a, he just, Peter goes on through a couple of these things. He says in verse 12, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Feel strange. And we need to know. This is, Peter wrote this 2,000 years ago. There's nothing strange going on in your life. The trial you're in is not strange. It's absolutely normal because in verse 13 it says, instead, come on, church, be very glad. Wow, I'm glad every time there's a trial. Always. <laughs> I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm always glad in the trial. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of what? Same thing, seeing his glory because you have linked with him in his suffering. You link with him in his glory. Wow, you don't hear a lot of these sermons anymore. I'm not saying I'm the only one. I'm not. Elijah thought he was the only one, and God checked him and said there's 7,000 more just like you. Not the only one, but it's, it's rare to hear 
sermons about linking with Christ even through the suffering and then getting the glory at the end. You get the glory of what he, because you've linked with him. He went through the test, he got the glory. You go through the test, you get the glory. It's not you. We've already proven that. It wasn't Moses. It wasn't anything in the world. It wasn't anything in the natural. It was always God. He uses human beings and he uses your natural circumstances, but it's always God. And last but not least, he says in chapter 5, says that he just sums this up and he says, in verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders and all of you dress yourselves in humility and so on. And he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He humbles us. He does it for you. If you let him, you don't have to try to make yourself humbly before God. God will humble you. Come on, who can testify that God has humbled you? Maybe we're not all the way there. But he humbles you. He pushes you. And we go, God, what's going on? I don't understand this. And you hate that time because it's out of your control. And we all want to be in control. But God is doing something. And he's getting you to the, all humility is this. You ready? This is humility. Not quiet and soft-spoken. That's not humility. Humility is not opening doors for people and saying thank you. Those things may come. Humility is, I'm not in control. God, you are. Now, out of that comes polite, right? We can be polite people, polite Christians, not rude, arrogant Christians, as we get the stereotype sometimes. Should be polite and kind, but the humility is God, I surrender. And he does that to us, and he says, verse six, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor Give all your worries and cares to God. Come on, today's your day to give all your worries and all your cares to God. Today's the day he's freed you from the world. Don't go back to that way. Don't put your hands back on your life. He just went through death, literal death and a cross to get you from that. Don't, he doesn't need your help in that area. He just needs you to trust him and he wants you to trust him. He wants to show himself to you. He wants to show you how much he loves you. He wants, that's his greatest joy, is to show you how much he cares for you. And the way he does that is not by you helping him be God, but by you saying you're God. And it says, stay alert. He warns us, because the opposite of humility is our pride. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He, pro, pro, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Why is that mixed in here? Because verse 9, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through, what's it say? The same kind of suffering you are. You are not alone. You're going through it. The suffering is just that the enemy's trying to get you back and you're, you're just plowing through. Someone said it once, and uh, I think it was Winston Churchill who he either repeated it or said it the first time. When you're going through hell, don't stop. Don't stop. And you just stay, you just keep saying, Lord, you've got this. Lord, you've got this. You've got this. You've got this. And there's others. Every believer is going through the same thing. It's in a different story, different scenario, but it's the same thing because in verse 10, and this is it, 
in his kindness, God, in his kindness, God called you. It was out of his kindness, out of his love for you. It says, out of his kindness, God called you to share. Here it is again, in his it's God's glory. He actually gives, he wants to give humanity, little tiny man, in the scale of a giant universe. It doesn't make sense. God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, come on, let's stand together. Let's stand. I want you just to say these words out loud. Let's make it personal. He will. Restore me, support me, strengthen me, and place me on a firm foundation. Let's close our eyes. Lord, we thank you out of your kindness and your grace and your mercy. Lord, that you're not letting us be wimpy Christians. Lord, you have called us to be the real deal. We're not gonna be battered around by the enemy. He is prowling and he's trying to get us back. He's trying to get us to look at our flesh. He's trying to rise up. That's all that pride is, putting our hands in God's work. That's it. But we're gonna stay focused on you. We're gonna say, Lord, our hands are up. That's a symbol that we are looking to you. It's not my place to meddle with your work. I'm giving all that I am to you. Lord, I'm gonna come to you daily and seek you. And I thank you that your word says that if I come to you daily, that there's a bread and a water in you, I will never hunger and I will never thirst. Everything I need is in you, and you're going to take me all the way through no matter what comes until I've been built up and strengthened and firm, and the enemy can no longer do anything to me because I've literally become like you, seated at the right hand of God for eternity. We thank you, Lord, that you're working in us today. You're doing this, Lord, each and every day. As we come, Lord, you are doing more and more and more in us, strengthening us. We give you praise, Lord, in Jesus' name.